Hey, good evening, everyone. This is Lacey Johnson, your host here on Bright Lights, uh, another episode, uh, our weekly excursion into the world of achievement and achievers, uh, where our general message is uh, you can be whatever you want to be, do whatever you want to do, and we're here to show you how to do it. Uh, we are the anti uh negative people we we believe in the positive and all the possibilities that you can do in your life uh we're coming to you as usual uh live from our studio here uh in north minneapolis and it's another blessed day in the hood for me um our guest today is uh, uh royce white in fact royce has the honor of being the first guest that we brought back a second time uh, we had a conversation with Royce a few weeks ago. Uh, Royce is a, a former uh, first-round draft choice of the Houston Rockets in the NBA. Uh, he took a stance on principle as far as that mental health policy. Uh, I think it's safe to say he for, he gave up millions of tens of millions of dollars, or if not more, uh, to stand on principle and to fight for a cause. And we don't have too many people today that would do that. And I've just found him to be a very knowledgeable, well-read, uh, thoughtful person. And uh, Ross has announced his candidacy for Congress. And we are here on Bright Lights. We focus on business. We focus on education and ideas. And we welcome all kinds of ideas. We don't do any censoring here. So we have uh, welcome Matt out, Matt out to people of all political persuasion, all types of ideas, because we think the best thing to do is to get them out here and confront any bad ideas and support any good ideas uh, along that line. Now, uh, as usual, uh, we'd like for you to go out to my uh, website, LaceyJohnson.com, uh, subscribe to the podcast, uh, click the notification bell so you can get uh, notifications when we uh upload uh, new videos and uh, donate to the podcast and uh, uh, visit our souvenir sh store to uh, buy some souvenirs. So as usual, uh, we like to deal with uh, things in the news before we bring our guest on. And before I do that, I got some, uh, as they say, cleanup on our three type of things, something to do. Uh, I, one of my last shows, I talked about the media and how they tend to spin things and uh, how they report things and uh, got into narratives. And I don't know whether I got into uh, Edward Bernays and how propaganda works and things like that. But uh, the basic line uh, issue I talked about was a headline. And my family uh, and I often carry on dialogues and exchange news stories and all kinds of stories. But someone sent me a link to a CNN, CNN story that uh, talked about how a young black man in Brookhaven, Mississippi, uh, had his van blocked in and shot at. He escaped and shot at as he was uh, leaving the community. And the impression, and I stress impression, uh, that was left is of this racist, uh, bigoted, uh, neighborhood down south and as I said at the time it just so happens Brookhaven is uh, 60 miles from where 
I grew up, and I know the area pretty good. And I thought it was kind of strange. It didn't make any sense to me uh, the way they were reporting it because, as I explained, uh, there are very few, especially in small town Mississippi, in, in Mississippi, uh, neighborhoods anywhere, no matter how rich, how poor, whatever, where uh, black people are not in and out of there every day, all day. And I also explained the fact that uh, we work together uh, uh, during the daytime. We know each other as individuals, individuals and not as members of a group. And the funny thing happens when you get to know people as individuals and not as groups. You don't have these stereotypes of them. And I say it to everybody, and people find this hard to believe, I never had a bad racial experience growing up in Mississippi or going back there in my hometown. I just, it just didn't happen. We got along and we were good friends. And so uh, I thought it was kind of strange the way they were reporting that did some homework, read the uh, local Brookhaven newspaper, found out that, uh, you know, prior to this happening, uh, the young brother was driving around through the neighborhood in a Hertz van delivering packages for FedEx. Uh, He got lost and he finally uh, delivered the package to the wrong house, which happened to be the people that tried to block him in. And uh, then he went back to that house and got the try to retrieve the package off the porch. And I, so I could see where the people in the house would think that uh, he was maybe stealing a package or something. So that might explain it to a certain extent. But more importantly than that, uh, and something I did mention, because people was thinking that I was uh, not believing the young man. Uh, I did, uh, besides reading the local papers, I listened to the press conference where he had all his lawyers. And I'm just going to mention a couple of things. Uh, There is a chance that there's more going on here. And I mean, there was lawyers from all over the country. Uh, Some people could look at this as an opportunity for uh, fame and fortune. I'm not saying it's happening, but we can't dismiss it. Uh, In fact, one of my points is when it comes to the news, you have to be a news detective. You can't take uh, what they're telling you. And if there's any questions unanswered, if it's not adding up, you have to do a lot of digging and, and, and searching to find out the true story. But at this press conference, and I thought I'd, I'd uh, uh, read it verbatim here. I, and I, I listened to the press conference. They had the lawyers. And, I, and in fact, I encourage everyone to go out and look for the press conference. The young man's name was DeMontario Gibson. He's 24 years old. According to social media, look like he's a rapper. But this is a statement that he made, and a lot of people would be surprised by. And CNN article would left the opposite impression. Uh, this is a statement he making. You go out and check it out. He said, "I'm going to be honest with you. I'm from Mississippi, and before this, I never experienced racism. Now, I know a lot of you, East Coast and West Coast and Northerners, you're probably fainting by now because it goes contrary to the narrative that's being portrayed. Uh, and I'm gonna." in like this and really once again my criticism was of the media and i'm a i'm gonna bring some little hip-hop and rb history and wrap it up uh one of the uh milestone songs of the hip-hop era uh, was uh, dr dre with snoop dogg uh ain't nothing but a g thing now uh many of you probably know the sampling that they use for ain't nothing but a G thing is a song by uh, Leon uh, Hayward, Hayward. And uh, 
and I think the song is called I, w I Want to Do Something Freaky to You. And that's the sample they use for uh, Ain't Nothing But a G Thing. But where I want to go is that to me, when I was growing up, the most popular Leon Haywood song, and you can check all this out, was Believe uh, None of What You See and Half of What You Hear. And even then, you should check it out, check it out, check it out. And that's my approach to the media. A couple other quick things. I'll get Royce on here. I never know what I'm going to talk about. But right before this, I went to Cub Food for lunch. And they don't have any hand baskets. And I guess what happens there, you know, I live in the hood. And there's certain things you accept. Uh, I mean, I don't expect for Cub to have live lobsters uh, floating around in, in, in tanks and things like I would out in YZ. But there are certain basic expectations that I have. And a hand basket is one of them. And so I go there, and they explain to me they're out of hand baskets because people are walking out the store with them. Now, uh, Cub Food has a security detail, and I know most of the guys, uh, uh, some of them ex-gang ex members and things like that. And I'm, I'm, I'm challenging them. Why are you letting people walk out of the store with hand baskets? But most importantly than that, uh, the manager tried to tell me, well, we aren't going to have any more. And I was straight up front with him. If you don't have hand basket here, you can forget about my business because this is my point. Uh, we have allowed ourselves to be victims of low expectations. And, and I'm saying, when I come to any grocery store, I want a hand basket. I don't want to go in and buy a couple of things of juice and have to have a big old cart. And I let him know that. So I told him, and he's agreed to help me here, that we, if I'm, if there's no hand basket there, I'm not going to be shopped there anymore. And so he's working to get that done. The idea that they, because we live in the inner city, that our grocery stores don't have the same type of things that grocery stores otherwise where has. And the last thing is, uh, I ran into some of the, speaking of low expectations, some of the striking teachers out there, and I agree with everyone. I think quality teachers and educators should be some of the highest paid professional in any society. But the same day they went on strike, the Star and Tribune had an article uh, uh, saying how bad we're doing closing the educational achievement gap. So those things don't go together. The achievement gap getting worse, and you want 20% raises and things like that and more money. And I just had a problem with that, and I let them know that. Uh, and by the way, I have a grandson in the Minneapolis public school system and this, what they've been doing during this pandemic and strike is just uncalled for. I see the negative impact it's having on his, his, his education. So as far as I'm concerned, this is the worst time in the world for the teacher to be asking for a raise. So that's all I have on that right now. We got a couple other things. We'll circle back with you next uh, episode, but I've uh, gone on and vented enough. Uh, now it's time to bring on our guest, uh, Mr. Royce White. Uh, Russ, welcome to Bright Lights. Thanks for having me, brother. I appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, you heard me explain to the audience, I think, that we've had you on before. and We talked about your uh, fight with the NBA over mental health issues and all the sacrifices you made there. And now, Royce, you've gone and done something else that has... Uh, uh, motivated me to have you on again, and that is you've announced your candidacy uh, for Congress. And as we talked about earlier, we welcome any candidates of any party or any of you 
who want to come on uh, to talk about their perspective and things like that. So I want to talk to you about that. Uh, first of all, of course, the obvious question, Mr. White, is what made you decide to run and throw your hat in the political arena? Well, <clears throat> you know, I, I come from the background of fighting the NBA on policy, on mental health policy. But my fight really wasn't with the NBA at all. My fight was with um, the corporatocracy. And, and when I say corporatocracy, or uh, I mean a global corporate community, <clears throat> which is, you know, or has become the byproduct of globalism, which in layman terms is, is the attempt to merge corporations and governments at the world scale. Um, and, and I was an early, I was an early opponent of, of that culture, of that system, of that establishment by way of the NBA. And so over the last 10 years, I've just been watching, you know, as, as a sort of solo rebel, uh, a, a solo fighter against the establishment in the void, right? As a nomad, as a renegade, um, in, in my own singular journey to, to fight what I knew personally from my own experience. And, and things have decayed quickly over the last 10 years. And it used to be that I saw myself as above the political, that mental health, which was you know, my area of, of advocacy uh, and the psychological and the human condition was um, many layers deeper than the political. And then the George Floyd, well, first I was living in Canada and the Jordan Peterson situation broke out and I watched a different version of liberalism than I was used to in that. Then I came back home um, and I became very um, interested in issues such as uh, the Uyghur genocide there in China. Um, obviously our political situation here at home had gotten hot during Donald Trump's presidency. Um, so, so our culture had become hyper-political and then the George Floyd situation took place uh, which was, you know, accompanied by the pandemic. Um, and, and then you had the, the 2020 election. So everything got hyper-political over the last two to three years. Um, and I, I had watched from afar. And, you know, I came to the realization earlier in this year that we're just, we're in a crisis. We're in a crisis. And the only way for us to get out of this crisis is to restore our faith in God and our national honor. But the people who are best suited to do that, in my opinion, are people who aren't willing to sell out because our political class, by and large, at the highest level, um, have traditionally been people who have taken backroom, backroom deals and under the table handshakes um, and, and sold out the integrity of the American people. And I think Ilhan Omar is a primary example of that. I think the Democratic Party, by and large, is a really good example of that. Uh, and I think that there's a uniparty, um, that, that, that there's a collaboration from both sides of the aisle to undermine the integrity of this country and its citizens. Um, so I trust myself, to, to make my answer a, a bit more short and simple, um, I trust myself to fight on behalf of the American people from a very genuine and honest place. Uh, you mentioned... Uh, unit party, you mentioned Democratic Party and some of the things that uh, they are involved in. And that I'm um, assuming meaning that you are running as a Republican. Am I correct in that, Mr. White? Okay, Absolutely. so mm -hmm. so now uh, from what I know of you, uh, you were, for lack of a better word, and, and correct me if there's a better phrase, a social justice warrior. 
uh, during the uh, George Floyd uh, uh, killing. And people generally don't associate social justice with Republican. And why don't you explain that to us a little bit, uh, Royce? Well, I wouldn't say I was a social justice warrior. I'd say that I understand that there is a constant fight between the state and the free people. Um, and and uh, I am a staunch advocate of citizenship and citizens' rights um, under constitutional law and constitutional values, American constitutional values. Um, and, and so... The George Floyd situation was interesting. Remember now, I had been watching the, the, the mainstream narrative for many years develop and take different situations such as Kaepernick or, 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 or Michael Brown or you know BLM as a whole, Trayvon Martin, uh, uh, President Trump, uh, and, and, and it had become very racially charged. But there was something missing in the conversation. It was, it was sort of WWE fast food cu culture and politics. Um, and I was very frustrated by that, but I had been, for lack of a better term, suppressed by the established, the mainstream uh, establishment media uh, and, and, and had my voice taken away because the mainstream media is in direct collaboration or partnership with the NBA. And, and for them to give me a voice would probably lead to some very real and authentic criticism of professional sports, which they don't want. Um, so I was frustrated by that. And... When George Floyd was killed, um, I found out, you know, a, a day later that Stephen Jackson, who I played with in the Big Three, uh, was a, a close friend or relative of George Floyd, and that he was going to be coming to town. And I told him when he got to town that that I would be here to, you know, to to welcome him, uh, and that I was, you know, sorry that that he had to visit Minnesota under such circumstances, um, and, you know. I went down to City Hall and they had a press conference there. And mind you now, I had not been involved with any of the grassroots community efforts or organizations here as it pertains to Black Lives Matter. I never had been involved and none of them ever came to my aid when it came to fighting the NBA. That's for sure. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, many of them are on the take, you could say, of the mm -hmm. NBA, which represents the liberal uh, establishment. So, you know, I wasn't initiated into all of the community politics of these organizations. But I grew up in this community. I was born and raised here. So I know people from the community, many people. They helped raise me. They helped turn me into the man that I am today. And I got to City Hall on the day that Steven Jackson addressed uh, the public and the press. And I was standing right there behind him. And a number of people stepped up to the microphone who I didn't know, who I'd never seen or heard of before. You know, maybe it was me. Maybe I'm just a little messed up, but I took offense to it. I said to myself, who are these individuals that are, are, are acting as middlemen and go-betweens and the voice of, of the community I was born and raised in? And it was people like Nakima and Leslie Redman and, and, and you know, a few mm -hmm. others um, who, whose name I didn't even think to register. Um, but I walked away from that thinking... I have a problem with how our community is being represented, uh, not only uh, from, a, from a personal standpoint, but from a messaging standpoint. Um, and, and in those days, 
we had decided to organize a march as a response to the fires and things that had broken out on the South side. Um, and I knew that the mainstream establishment was in our community, that it had infiltrated our community in many respects, and that I was gonna be well positioned to go in and lead um, a number of demonstrations that push back on the mainstream status quo narrative. Um, and the narrative were that was that all police are bad, that we needed to defund the police, um, that 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 uh, white America was inherently white supremacy, um, you know, uh, and and a number of other you know a number of other you know cultural quotas you could say, and so you know we organized this march, and it was a peaceful protest. You know, we had over seventy five hundred people I think show up to the first one. And we didn't have a single fight, a single fire, uh, an arrest even, um, and, and everything went off, went off without a hitch. But again, I knew that the mainstream media was going to hijack that moment and, and weaponize it in a variety of ways. And I wanted to fight that. And so the way I fought that was to um, lead an organically, an organically led demonstration that was detached from all of the other community uh, collaborators with BLM at the national level. Um, and, you know, I, I started us at U.S. Bank Stadium um, and I marched us to the Federal Reserve, for example. And I could tell, you know, that many people who were out there, and, and I always say that, you know, I, I didn't march with Black Lives Matter. They marched with me. And that is the case. We organized our marches from from start to finish. We didn't have any Black Lives Matter, uh, you know, support or, or involvement. Um, and, in fact, when people who came to volunteer for us wanted us to get involved with Black Lives Matter or these other community organizations, I said no uh, vehemently. So, um, you know, my message was about corporatocracy. It was about the Federal Reserve. It was about economic tyranny. It was about the scope of governance. It was about the state. Uh, and the social contract between the free people and the state and what it means to be a citizen. Uh, and, and I remember being up on the stoop in front of the U.S. Bank Stadium or, or I mean, at the Federal Reserve and saying, am I a Roman citizen? Right. Which which is a, a passage from the Bible where where Paul asks, am I a Roman citizen? Are you allowed to bind and beat a Roman citizen who has not yet been convicted? Um, and, and so. I tried to expand the scope of the conversation to get people to better focus their emotion on a, a, on a on a heading that could actually catalyze real change and not just be a, a three card Monty for race, a, a race war or mm -hmm. racial tension. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think those are excellent points because that's one of my points I was making with the comments about the headlines. Uh, nine out of 10 times, if there's, a story in the mainstream media about black people is about race and racism. It's not about accomplishments and other things that we're fighting in edu uh, other issues that we're dealing with. It's not about uh, education. It's not about business. It's not about family. It's not about uh, faith or anything like that. It's all race, 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 racism all the yeah. time. And, I, and that's a pattern there that I don't like. And I've been upfront about that. Um, so let's get into some details uh, uh, uh some of the things you just said. First of all, uh, you mentioned uh, uh, the black le established leadership. I think yeah. some of the, uh, uh, mentioned because I I recognize some of the names and yeah. uh, affiliated with the NAACP. Yeah, they're all sellouts. 
Okay. <laughs> okay. They all sell out. Yeah. Okay. Good. 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 A uh, cut to the point there. I love that. Uh, so that's one thing. Then. I, no. I, and and, and I, wait, wait one second. One second. I, mm-hmm. I don't mean to say that they're sellouts in 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 a demeaning way. I think many people in our culture have been have been conditioned in a in a sort of in a in a mentality that makes them prone to selling out. Um, and and I'm just I come from a personal history where there's not an offer big enough that could uh, that could encourage me or convince me to compromise the principle. Um, that's just my personal history. So I hold people to a very high standard in that. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe maybe unfairly, but I, I, I'm a Christian. Mm-hmm. And, and and we have high we have high standards as Christians in, in our moral integrity and, and to tell the truth. Um, so, you know, the, the, the problem I have fundamentally and I saw this as as time went on and I was out there organizing some of these these community efforts is that there was a there was an unspoken and unwarranted hostility towards black men. And let's take it a step further. Uh, straight Christian black men being at the head of any of these community uh, movements. Um, and, and some of the black men who were at the front of these movements were gossiped about behind their back, were, were side eye, were undermined, were strategically, uh, you know, conspired against to move out of positions of leadership. Uh, and, and, and I just wasn't going to go for it. And they had trouble moving me out of position because of who I am um, and because of of my competence um, right. on the issues. Uh, so, you know, that that's what I mean by saying they're sellouts is that, right, right. you know, okay. there's a Democratic Party that sits on top of the social justice warrior Black Lives Matter movement. And they are at the behest of the Democratic Party and the Democratic Party, by and large, is not uh, the, the the prosperity of black community or the black community or the improvement of the black community. Their aspiration is to keep the black community in a time capsule where they can march us around and parade us around as a token uh, and, and a calling card for intersectionality, which is a completely different thing. Uh, you know, it, it's not the same as as saying black America is in this circumstance and here's how we get out. So help us understand uh, who, how do we get to the point where uh, we have these sellouts and, 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 and once again, not to use it in a uh, negative light. And how do we fix that? And I guess, and I, I don't like compound questions, but I know you can handle these, this. Uh, and then what is the ultimate impact on the lives of everyday people? Uh, in fact, it would be more specific, specific since we were talking about black leaders. What is the ultimate impact on the everyday lives of black people? Well, there's two things that we have to sort out when we Mm -hmm. talk about picking our leadership. Um, I think leadership should be heavily predicated on the character trait of self-sacrifice in in the model of Jesus Christ and and all of the other revered prophets of of our ancient texts and, and culture. Um, so that's number one. I think that's a, a good starting place for picking leadership. Um, in the absence of the ability to pick leadership based on a, a very obvious self-sacrifice in the interest of the greater good, I think we have to sort out who's ignorant to the issues of the time and who are in on the issues of the time. 
right? Where who's ignorant to the corruption causing the issues of our time, and who's in on the corruption causing the issues of our time. Um, and I and it, that's not an easy task because I do think in general that the American public, that American citizens, have been strategically dumbed down. So it's hard to actually know and dis discern who is just ignorant to the nuances of issues and who's in on it. But you get the same net result from both cases. And I think that's what we have to understand. And, and the only way we, as the, we the people, can understand that is if we have a better understanding of the issues. And, and that way we'll be able to better discern which of our leaders are, are failing in which places. And all of that is in shambles right now. And, and I'll take a, I'll, I'll give you an example. And you and I have discussed this before that the, the common political culture in America, and this is, this is regardless of black people, this is for all people, that you can't write or talk to people above a fifth grade reading level. Right. I find that offensive as an American taxpayer and voter, uh, a citizen of this country. And I think all Americans should find it offensive. And I think that they should also understand that it is the culture that has permeated uh, uh, mainstream politics and the corporations for many, many generations. And so it's left us in a place that I believe is exactly where power in this country wants us, uninformed um, and, and unable to discern good leadership from bad leadership. And, and so let's take George Floyd, for example. And, and I wanna lay out this, 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 uh, this line of thought. My take is that we should refund the police and we should overhaul police resources. Okay, there's, there's no more dangerous job in this country than to be a, be a police officer. Um, and I'm not saying on average, everyday police officers are in danger because that's certainly not true. But at the, you know, um, in at at the height of of the duty of being a police officer, it certainly is very very dangerous, um, life or death, and we understand that. Um, so they should be paid more. Um, and so and and so that's first. I'll, I'll I'll preface this this line of thought with that. So I didn't agree immediately with the left and the BLM and all the people who were out there marching saying defund the police, F the police. I thought that that was completely inappropriate, illogical and, and, and very detached from reality. Um, but I'll say this. We do have to figure out how much crime in this country comes from an inherent criminal nature and how much crime is a look away from our corporatocracy. Right. To, to say. Mm -hmm. We are more interested in people being poorly educated, being uh, very weak, critical thinkers, unable to have a good moral and ethical foundation because it makes them better purchasers and consumers. Consumers, yeah, yeah, it yeah. makes them better consumers. And so, in, instead of instead of giving a rich philosophical foundation to our citizens, instead we want people to be sheep-like consumers. And what we're going to do is place our militarized police in between the free people who were scamming out of mm -hmm. tax money. Mm -hmm. Okay, we're going to put the police in between the people who were scamming and the corporate and the corporate establishment, the corporatocracy, the the corporate run government and elected officials officials or institutions like the Fed. Right. And so a lot of people in this country have not had the time or the training or education to be able to understand that dynamic 
And so when a George Floyd is murdered, they go to the third precinct and burn it down. Yeah. And, and I'm sitting here going, the police are pawns. They've become pawns that are improperly used by the corporatocracy. And here's and here's the real potential for this country and our community, our communities across the country to elevate to a better place. The police have to speak up and understand that they've been misused, that they've been undertrained, that they've been underpaid, and, and that that is the state above them that is responsible for that. That's the mayor. That's the governor. That's the federal government, Congress, the Senate, the executive branch, the corporations. They have conspired to let the police take the, take the fall for all of the most confrontational aspects of, of our society. And, and so I'm not saying that crime, all crime is due and, and ha is, is, is uh, the responsibility or, or the fault of the corporate uh, establishment. But we do have to sort out how much is and how much isn't. Because right, that's going right. to help us be able to address building communities in a, in a more healthy way. So we're going to get into some specific here uh, as far as it applies to some of the community. But you're putting some very big ideas out there. And I, I'd just like to explore one of them. Uh, when we talk about corporations and their role in this, yep. and then you pair that with the fact, well, first of all, corporations generate most of the money, and therefore they're going to have most of the control. And that control includes our media. It includes pop culture. It includes our educational system. So, Royce, that makes it kind of difficult to change things, does it not? Because they're controlling what we know, and they're responsible for all the false narratives that's creating a lot of these issues and preventing us from solving a lot of these issues. Yeah. So, Mr. White, uh, you've done a lot of analysis. What's what, how do we how do we uh, start rolling back? a lot of this when the various people that we are holding responsible for some of it are actually in control of just about all the information our people get. Well, I, I think number one, we have to acknowledge in this, this is, this is tough, mm -hmm. but, but it's really not. I mean, we have to acknowledge that it's, it's not just the media right. that I'll, I'll break and, and I'll say this, in, in earnest, and, and I, I don't like to talk down to audiences. I, I, I think it's an insult to them. Um, and, and I know that many in your audience understand the things I'm saying, and I hope that I can spark the curiosity in those who may not um, to, to research certain things and become inspired to have a better understanding. But when we say things like new world order, we're not talking conspiracy anymore. These, these global institutions are coming right out and admitting that they have a new world order in mind, which is the extension of a, a post-World World War II uh, liberal democratic rules-based order that's now going to morph into a new world order. And I only say that to, to lay out the five heads of that new world order as I see them. You got big tech and you got three industrial complexes, media, military, and medicine. And then you have central banks, which are really cartels by any other definition. Um, and I, I lay that out to say there's just one that I want to talk about in the context of your question. Our education has become an extension of the media industrial complex. 
So it's not only that the media industrial complex is this huge corporate partner that controls our information coming from TV and uh, our iPads or, or, or the, the newspapers or our, 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 uh, our political pundits. It's not just that. It's that the media industrial complex's will has seeped down into the roots of our formative education. And they're now teaching Marxism and, and hate America and CRT and these things in our public schools. Um, and they've substituted those WWE politics um, for real substantive of knowledge. Uh, and, and not only just knowledge and stories of history, but how to acquire knowledge, the process of acquiring knowledge, right? Which is a word I'll give people as epistemology. Um, but, but we have a problem with the acquisition of knowledge, of how to go about knowing and discerning the truth from, from false and opinion from fact. Um, and, and that's by design. So I would say that for the black community specifically, but for the working class all around this country, working class and lower and middle class working individuals have to make a decision that we go and take a hold of the reins of our public school curriculums of our children's education, of our children's knowledge and the way that their minds are gonna be built and formed uh, for the generation to come. And right now, all that people can do really uh, is question everything that they see and hear uh, because they do have a stronghold on the, on the narrative and they are willing to manipulate it. And they've shown that. And I think a lot of people are, are uh, amenable to that idea. They believe that the stories have been corrupted but I think they where they where they have trouble and where they fall where they deviate is they don't know where else to go to get information, um, and that's a troubling thing. That's why when Donald Trump said, for example, the the greatest threat to America is a free press right now. Um, I don't think he meant forever in the past or forever in the future. But at that moment when he said it, I completely agree. I completely agree that the free press or that the media industrial complex has been one of the biggest dangers to our American citizenship and way of life because what it's done is decayed the, 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 the spirit of our people and the, and the knowledge and intelligence of our people. Um, so yeah, we have to get back the reins of our education system away from the corporatocracy, uh, which is gonna be a citizen to citizen, hand to hand, door to door effort to take back our school boards and, 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 our, um, you know, and these curriculums and advocate for, for real sound education. And we're also going to have to question everything we're told by the mainstream establishments. Uh, I agree with you there. So now, and uh, you mentioned that you don't like talking down to your audience. You also mentioned that uh, uh, and, uh, the average, uh, at least politician that I know of, say, assume the average voter has a fifth grade education. Yep. And by the way, when I when I first started uh, uh, listening to politics, it was a sixth grade education. So now it's it's gone down a grade. Going down. I, right, right. It, it looked like we we're still a, a a downward trend still. So this right. time, five years from now, it might be fourth grade. Uh, but what I'm getting at, uh, and, I, and I hate to use uh, my personal story, but I'm talking to an architect getting ready to retire. And we're just talking politics, and he knows just about everything that's going on. And uh, I ask him, uh, "Have you are you familiar with globalism?" And he's, his answer was no. Yeah. 
His answer was no. And which was shocking. Oh, boy. Um, and then uh, we talked about the Federal Reserve. Most people don't have an idea what that is. Most people don't understand the connection between the Federal Reserve controlling our money supply and the price of eggs in the grocery store. Most people, and, and I, I hope I'm not talking about, but it's just my experience and, and, and just talking to people that know uh, how difficult it is sometimes to grasp those concepts. Uh, most people, uh, if the government is making money out of thin air and sending them money, free money, yeah. they're not thinking that's not good for the economy. They're not thinking this eventually, if we keep doing this, it's going to lead to $6 a carton eggs. Most people just have not uh, been able to make that connection. Now, here's the thing. Part of that issue is if you look at our public schools, which you uh, connect with the corporations, they don't teach us about money and economic principles. That's right. They do not teach us about, they don't even teach us about the legal system and the law. The two most important things The two things they don't teach you uh -huh. about is, is law and, and finance. And finance. The two that's most the scam important, right there. Yeah, I mean, that's the beginning scam. of the scam of public education <laughs> I, right I there. Agree. I agree. Yeah. How can you call it public education? And you're not teaching your citizens about the two most important things uh, that will affect their lives. Because they, they're teaching people how to play the game, but they're not teaching people how the game works. Right, right. 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 That's the ultimate. So and uh, so I want to give a cheat sheet just real quick on uh -huh. the Fed and on globalism first and then the Fed. Okay, so globalism is the ambition to create a one government, one currency society that has no where nations have no borders and this is this is what they've admitted this is what they're talking spokes spokespeople say mm -hmm. out loud in front mm -hmm. of the public which is an insult to our intelligence it as is. though they can say whatever they want and, and people are so dumb quote unquote that they won't even they won't even notice it enough to do anything about it um and there's a real arrogance and, and malevolence to that but so th their concept is in the future the stakeholders of our society in this new global one government one currency society will uh that that they'll own everything that people everyday people are going to own nothing but be happy you know as a black man that sounds like slavery to me um and i think what they're trying to say uh and, and what they are saying in fact is uh, we're going to make the material high so good in life that you're not going to notice that we've stolen everything from you mm -hmm. uh and, and so the this all started after world war ii when uh, you know the biggest lies hide behind the greatest truths that adolf hitler was a truly psychopathic and evil demented individual who uh, carried out a, a massacre and atrocity on an ethnic minority and wanted to wage war and conquer europe and and then wanted to venture into russia and i and i would assume that the whole world was in his sights because warlords and, and sociopaths like that tend to think in those terms. Um, and he was used and the Holocaust was used as a as a as a pretext uh, to justify, right, a pretext for this new global, this new global society. Right. And it started with the League of Nations and then it became the United Nations. And now the United Nations and uh, in, in NATO and now the United Nations has become the World Economic Forum and the party of Davos and all these international governing bodies 
that really just serve as uh, consultants, you could say, for transnational corporations. Right. Right. Okay. So and and so to to put to put it plainly, they see the entire world as open for uh, for driving down costs um, by attacking the nation state and citizenship and getting rid of borders so that there's an unconstrained amount of labor, right? And so every time a globalist agenda opens up your borders as a nation to flood the zone with um, an infinite pool of labor, effectively what they're doing is they're attacking your wages and your work opportunities, which is the crooks of the working class, lower and middle class citizens. So it really only affects poor people, but they don't care about that because their concept is that they understand the world at such a level that they're going to decide what happiness means for you. And you're going to subscribe to it in the future, the same way you subscribe to Netflix or Hulu or Apple music or, or whatever else. Uh, so I, uh, agree with you that a lot of the stuff you see is out there in the public. It's, it's public record. Yeah. Uh, however, uh, great majority of our citizen and voters, including the ones in CD5, they're working two jobs. Yeah. They're coming home, cooking dinner. They're stressed out when they get home. Uh, they might Throw on the mainstream media, news, CNN, MSNBC, whatever. And they don't want to be bothered with all this heavy thought. In fact, if they watch the news, they might want to watch some Dancing with the Stars. And so they will listen to someone like you, Royce, and they would easily believe it when you are called a conspiracy theorist yeah and 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 dismiss you so how do you how would you come back how do you combat that i mean look that's the greatest the, the greatest trick right and biblically is the, the devil making the world believe he didn't exist mm-hmm. um and, and that's that's a that's a very that's a very cunning strategy and it seems to be working well right now and and i think as we've gone further and further away from Judeo-Christian values, we've gone further and further away from uh, the contemplative, from people contemplating, from, from yeah. people being being comfortable with deep thought and, and, and well, well thought out um, and thinking things out in full. Um, and all I can tell the people of CD5 and people, working class people around the country and really around the world is that the fast food politics and culture that they're being given by the media industrial complex are part of the rat trap to keep you uh, in a maze, playing the game and not understanding how it works. And I think many people believe that, but I also think many people don't know where else to go and get information. So that's part of my strategy is to show people where these, these individuals that they've trusted with their communities and lives have said the things that, that I'm trying to, uh, communicate to them right out in the open and it's going to be a slow it's going to be a it's going to be a slow fight it's going to be it's going to be a war of attrition um but i think by and large a lot of people have an intuition that they've been lied to they're just not sure by who and in which ways um Mm -hmm. so so i'm confident in my ability to to help people with that um and to show people the truth and i'm invested in that and i'm committed to that 
And I'm committed to the long fight of that, which is why I'm getting into politics at 30. And it's why I fought the NBA at 20, because there's no better time for the truth than right now. So, um, you know, a, a lot of people are under a lot of pressure. What I will say is the people that they've entrusted with their lives, ironically, are, are part of the main reason why they're under so much pressure and stress. Right. Yeah. OK, so let's we, we, we've talked about a lot of great ideas and things like that and what's going on uh, in the world at large. Mm -hmm. uh, you know that old saying, all politics is local. So let's try to yeah. bring it in and funnel it in on some of the things that's going on here locally in yeah. CD5 that uh, some uh, mom is sitting out there with a son. Let's say here in North Minneapolis, he should be in school, but he's not. Uh, yeah. the, the past two years, he hasn't been educated. He's fallen farther, farther behind. Uh, she's hearing gunshots outside our homes, and uh, and let's extend it to further CD five out in Wyzetta. Their cars are being jacked, uh, yeah. homes are being broken into. Let's take some of the the things and the knowledge that you've shared, and let's apply it to some of these uh, uh, particular issues. You have seen, we've seen crime rise. And you mentioned earlier, uh, and I've been up front with the people. I think it all began with them letting let people burn down the police station. I mean, that's that's my answer. And uh, what would you do? What are some of the solutions uh, for uh, people who are concerned about uh, all the crime uh, that's going on uh, around the country, but specifically in CD5? I think we need to refund the police. I think we need to refund and overhaul police resources. Um, I think there has to be a huge emphasis on training, not just so that black people aren't um, unintentionally, mistakenly, or or egregiously killed in, in the line of duty for police officers, but so that police officers are better equipped um, to to handle all facets of their of their of their duty, um, and also so that we can get more officers to cover so that our officers don't have so much uh, rundown and wear and tear uh, from the things that they do face out there, uh, you know, in the community. Um, so I think, I think you can't, you can't address crime without, without, um, without aiding a, a more healthy police force. But I also think that the real issue with, with criminality is largely due to economic circumstance and, and philosophical bankruptcy, right? And a lack of education. And I don't mean education as in learning uh, math and science. I mean the, the education of, 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 of knowledge. And we also have to address the crisis of faith. And I think that they're, they're linked in some ways. I'm not saying that all people who don't believe in God are bad people, but I'm saying that it's very hard to maintain a moral and ethical structure in your life as an individual when you don't have faith, when you don't have an understanding of the metaphysical. And here's why. I'll explain why. The reason is, is because if you don't believe there's anything else when heaven collapses for you, you believe you have to do everything right here and now in this life. And that puts an urgency and an anxiety and a sort of despair on you that in some cases, and in, in, in many cases with criminality, causes you to make brash decisions without thinking them through, um, without thinking, thinking about them with a moral foundation. So we have to address the morals and ethics in our communities at the grassroots level from our young people going forward. 
um, because the young people of today, it, unfortunate to say, uh, will be the criminals of tomorrow. They will be the police of tomorrow. They will be the educators of tomorrow. They will be the bankers of tomorrow. Um, so we have to address education at a fundamental level for our young people. We need to overhaul the police resources in the immediate to deal with the crisis we're in now. Um, but, but, but ultimately, we have to find a way to get back to faith and, and some type of higher meaning uh, culturally. And that's in CD5. And it starts with me and you and, and the Reverend McAfee and, and all of the other leaders, community leaders that are here to go out and, and take a ministry of truth into the belly of the beast and, and um, set our own selfish ambitions aside, like I've done by taking the time to run for Congress, um, to, to preach a message of truth and try and reach as many as we can. I, I don't know that we're going to be able to stop all the carjackings uh, uh, in, in one year in my first term in Congress. I know that we're going to educate people. I know that we're going to give people knowledge that can help them have a more healthy life spiritually, uh, economically, uh, and otherwise. So, boy, a lot to unpack there, too. Uh, you mentioned uh, the uh corporatocracy, I think I pronounced that right, and how nope. it's connected to the crime that's committed yep. in uh, these communities. And you mentioned uh, also the, and I think you put that very well, uh, the role that faith uh, serve uh, in our lives and in our communities. Uh, and so before I go elsewhere, I'm going to push back a little bit on the poverty and the crime, and it's tied to what you said uh, about the faith part. I tell everybody, we, we were not rich. Well, I, I grew up, but we didn't commit crimes. Uh, we had guns, but we didn't kill each other. Uh, and when I look back on it, we didn't, for the most part, we didn't steal, we didn't lie. No matter how poor we got, how, we never did any of that. And I've been up front when I look back on it, it is because of that uh, religious, faithful background. We believed in the Ten Commandments, that's your Nikeo. And and, and but uh, the other part of that is that we had the faith in. These are some of the things I'm talking about as far as solution. Uh, once again, the faith part of it, the yeah. economics and business development part of it, where we're generating wealth and we got corporations in our in our own community that we control and we aren't dependent on other people. These are global co corporations competing in technology and finance and everything else. I think rebuilding the family, uh, some kind of way we got to rebuild our family. And, and, and education. I think those are the four pillars to me. Economics, education, family, and faith. And until we do that now, but the issue becomes, once again, the narrative that people are hearing. Uh, and where I'm going there, and it tied back to the where you started off on the police, even if they fund the police, there's a narrative out there that says, well, let's Back up this way. Even if I'm a high pay, uh, it's a high paid position. Yeah, I'm afraid to be a policeman because I'm just one phone video away from 15 years in prison. And how do we overcome that? I mean, boy, that's you're gonna have to yeah. offer. I guess you gotta have to offer a lot of money. But any yeah. policeman, you do have to offer more money. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 a lot more. In law yeah. enforcement office, because I, I don't want anyone writing me and sending me a note about, I said policeman, but law enforcement officer, I mean, that's a very dangerous uh, 
profession nowadays, like I said, you're one phone video away from 15 years in prison. What do we do about that, Royce? Well, that's the high stakes poker game uh, between the state and the free people. When you when you organize and, and concretize and constitutionalize a society or a nation, that's the high stakes game that is always played between government, law and order and, and the people. Um, and there are no easy solutions. All that I can offer is to create healthier police and healthier people, healthier citizens um, and, and from healthier spiritually healthier physically and healthier psychologically, uh, mind, body, and spirit. So, you know, th there, there is no easy solution. What I'll say is this. We have to be very honest about the scope of governance and the influences that, ha that have indeed influenced our law enforcement culture. Now, I said there are three industrial complexes. One of them is the military industrial complex. And our law enforcement has be it is the lowest rung of the military industrial complex. And there's corruption all throughout it. And nobody, anybody who would deny that or speak different or, or deviate from admitting that there is corruption throughout law enforcement is not being honest. And the people know that there's corruption. The people know that, that, that the scope of authority and, and the scope of governance has gotten too big. We've seen it in, 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 in history with civil rights movements and civil rights leaders who were assassinated by law enforcement, by intelligence agencies, the same intelligence agencies that went after Donald Trump, by the way. Uh, and so this isn't about party politics. This is about the scope of governance and the administrative state, which, which, is, which is a little different than the two-party uniparty. But, um, I'll, and I'll give this example also. In any country throughout history, when the state becomes tyrannical, the police are always the one who carry the marching orders. That's everywhere throughout history in, 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 modern, in modern times. When the state goes tyrannical, the police carry out those marching orders. So we should always be mindful of the scope of authority and the conduct and the, and the expectation of law enforcement because they wield the, the, they wield the authority of the state. Which is, a un, which is an unchallengeable authority. Um, at the same time, we as citizens are lying to ourselves when we say that the cops don't have a right to kill us when we kill ourselves and others. Um, and, and so the entire dynamic is based on both parties, citizens and uh, police or law enforcement, uh, sort of lying to themselves about their role in the conflict. Uh, and, and both are trying to go to their own side of the of the tug of war and say, no, 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 it's you. And the, and the civilians are on this side saying, no, 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 it's you. And there's a third party here. And that's why I laid out the corporatocracy, because the corporatocracy is actually playing the shell game financially with resources and, 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 and uh, economic vitality and the value of citizenship with both police officers and most citizens. Because okay. cops and police are working class citizens, um, but their loyalty and the oath they take is to the state. So it's actually incumbent upon the police to vote in a manner that holds the state accountable for how they treat and handle the citizens from an okay. economic standpoint, because that economic treatment will come down to bear on them when they're in the line of duty. And that's just the reality. I mean, I don't know how better to 
to put it than that. We have to be honest. We have to tell the truth. And, and that's going to be the way that we start to build a bridge and mend uh, what has been broken between law enforcement and citizens. So uh, one more uh, issue to discuss in law enforcement, we'll move on to some other issues that perhaps are important to our citizens here. Uh, on law enforcement and, and some of the issues that we had with uh, police running with, especially black men, the black yeah. community, uh, I tell everybody, uh, first of all, I got a lot of friends in the police department that I know for, for, been known for a long time. And uh, once again, tying it to some uh, earlier comment uh, about the media. When I was talking to them versus the media report, I got a totally different picture. Uh, number one. Uh, and secondly, with those friends and people who uh, have concerns about uh, people uh, dying unjustly uh, yeah. at the hands of law enforcement, this is what they said to me. And I hear no one talking about it. They say, look, first of all, and I agree, this is what I teach my son. By the way, I got two sons that I raised in North Minneapolis, and that was an issue. But here's the thing, Royce. I told them, regardless of race, gender, or whatever, or the, or the officer, one, and this is the way I was raised, obey the law. And if you think about it, that was one of the big tenets of the black Muslim uh, movement. Obey the law. Absolutely. Uh, Elijah Muhammad, obey the law. We're not saying that to ourselves or to our young men. And by the way, I run into a lot of them, and that's what I tell them. And, you know, the surprising thing about it, you'll be amazed at how open and, and accepted they are of that simple thing. And, like, wait a minute, I've never heard that before, but I get you. Uh, second thing they tell me is, uh, the, once again, black police officers that we don't hear about in the media, and I think this is part of the thing that's missing, uh, don't resist the rest. Yeah. And then the third thing they say, which I thought was most important, because I, I was at a town hall meeting with a police officer and a lot of young black men. Uh, make sure they see both of your hands at all times. And even yeah. the black officer said that, hey, look, if we don't see your hands, you're in trouble. Uh, and so why are we not uh, accepting and educating ourselves yeah. to that, especially just by, you know, just no, nothing scientific. I would think that 90% of those situations would go away if we ourselves just did that. What's your uh, feedback on that particular observation? Do I I have the right to to be uh, less than straightforward here? Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I I thought I'd never hear you ask that question, but yes, go ahead. Okay, because there's the, the straightforward answer is all three of those things in theory would be good practice for b- black men. Okay. Just given the score, I mean, let's, t- you know, realistically, you know, given the history of this country, it'd be good practice for black men. So I would always say that that would, uh, yes, to all three, but the devil's in the details. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the nuance is where we find corruption. That's where corruption usually lies. That's where the saying, the devil in the details comes from. Mm-hmm. And it's in the margins. It's in the margins. It's at the extremes where the most damage is done to the spirit. It's not, it's not, it's not the everyday. Most people live their lives every day um, as good, normal, law-abiding citizens, right? Mm-hmm. But it's the very few, the minority, 
the extreme who cause destruction. Yeah. Right? Okay. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so so I I say that to show how the theory of the 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 damage is done at the extremes plays out in the physical world. Okay. Mm-hmm. When you say don't don't break the law. Mm-hmm. Here's my problem with it. Mm-hmm. When the lawmakers become corrupt, then those who enforce the law are now corrupt. And our lawmakers are corrupt, which is part of the reason why I'm running for Congress, because Ilhan and many others are in on it. They're in on the scam. They're in on the corruption. OK, so. What we've lost sight of is the ability for citizens to to actualize their citizenship and the rights they have over their consti- uh, you know their constitutional rights in a way that demands the establishment be accountable to we the people. And so for an example, we went through a time period here recently that may come back in the near future. We're already seeing that they're going back to lockdowns here in China over uh, Omicron. Right. Uh-huh. Uh, where lockdowns vaccine mandates and vaccine passports could in fact become the law. And so should we obey that law? So that's my first question. Okay. Mm-hmm. The second one is, um, uh, your second one was say it again. I know, uh, the the second one, one don't resist arrest. The second one is don't resist arrest. Okay. That's a pretty, that's a pretty good one in general. Um, mm-hmm. because I think cops have a pretty decent threshold for arresting individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is the, the whole probable cause racket where when police officers are having a bad, and this goes back to funding and training and resources, when cops are having a bad day and, and for some reason they say, hey, you get into an exchange with them and, and they don't necessarily like the way that you're responding, uh, again, am I a Roman citizen? Do you have the right to bind and beat a Roman citizen who hasn't been convicted? This is biblical. This is Paul talking to the t- talking to the centurions. Okay, so yes, in general, in most cases, don't resist arrest. But what if I'm the mom at the New York City restaurant and I'm being kicked out or or potentially in the future arrested with my child there because I don't have a vaccine passport? Should I resist arrest? Okay, second. Uh, now the third. Wait, I'm, I'm going to go through all three first. Mm-hmm. Okay, and the third one is show your hands at all times. Okay, now I've been in a situation myself where a cop has asked me to go for my wallet. So should I should I resist the officer's command to go for my wallet in order to make sure that he always sees my hands? Now that's something that you can request. Right, 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 right. Most people don't know, but here's the problem. When an officer comes, for example, let, let's let's use this for example. I, I was in a situation where I was in Roseville. My aunt owned a hair salon there for 30 years, so I'm very familiar with the with that area of Falcon Heights, Roseville, Harmar, Snelling, Como, that entire little area in St. Paul. And one day I was sitting outside of Lian Chin eating with my children's mother, and uh, supposedly there was somebody in the area who matched my description. Uh, some A cop on patrol driving through the parking lot had made a positive ID uh, on me sitting in the front seat and the passenger seat of a, of a vehicle. Okay. And without any warning, uh, police SUV pinned 
our SUV in from the front, hopped out with their guns drawn, get your fucking hands on the glass. Okay. Was the scariest moment of my life. I mean, I saw down the barrel of a gun of an individual who obviously either thought I was somebody who could do major harm and kill him or potentially just wanted to kill me. I mean, at, at, in those moments, it's very hard to discern uh, because your fight or flight turns on. This is the psychology that must be addressed between citizens and cops. And so I put my hands on the glass because I've been in those high pressure situations and my, girl, uh, my, my child's mother did as well. Um, but what if we had it? Would I be here today to run for United States Congress? Is that fair? Is that just? Is that the accepted collateral damage of law and order? Is that mm -hmm. what we meant by liberty and the pursuit of happiness? Absolutely not. And the margin of error is so, is so small in maintaining trust between the people and government that we have to draw our gun with the utmost care. And I don't think that our culture uh, in policing has, has taught people to draw their gun with the utmost care. Listen, at, in the front seat of a car, I could be 6'8", I could be 5'8". And right. now I'm going to go out on a limb and say not many people look like me. I'm just going to say that. I was um, going to make that point. Yeah, uh -huh. but, but my, my overall statement is to say with all three of those, those caveats that I presented, mm -hmm. that citizens have a real grievance about the conduct and the, and the protocol of policing, doesn't mean that I think we shouldn't refund and overhaul the resources. Right, I'm right. able to actually have the duality of thought to say we need to over, uh, overhaul and refund on principle, but we also have to address some things in a real honest manner. Um, and, and who are the individuals who have the, the ability to critically think and do so? So, Okay. Yeah, I, uh, I think uh, we would come to a common agreement as far as uh, everyone having a, uh, some accountability and some happen more than others. And and just to wrap up uh, my experience at that town hall, uh, when they said, we need to see both of your hands at the same time, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. See, like they should be getting that message out to people, number yeah. one. And the other problem from the from the law enforcement standpoint, and this is what I had a problem with with them and what they said, we expect for you to respect us when we stop you. Yeah. I'm like, man, are you kidding me? Yeah. I mean, people are gonna have bad days and they're gonna be stressed out, and and you expect for them to just every time you pull up and smile, and and, and so, I those are the two things I left that conference with. I'm like, we're in trouble. We're in trouble if you expect for people living these stressed out lives to always be nice and smiling and yes, sir, uh, and people. Uh, chances of living shouldn't depend on us being in a nice mood all the time and not uh, reflective of the situation we just come from. Am I am I a Roman citizen? Yeah, yeah, right, 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 right. Am I a Roman okay. citizen? Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's deal with a couple of other issues, and then we'll uh, try to wrap things up. I, I want to uh, say I want to say mm -hmm. one more thing about the police situation. Um, uh -huh. I'll give I'll give an example. And I think a lot of people can either go back and watch this or they the, the real problem with the police dynamic is that the mainstream media has made it uh, has made it the, the discussion anchored around race and racism. Right. And I think that that's a big issue because I think now many people on the right on the right of the political spectrum 
are amenable and understanding of the idea that they too need to be worried about police and uh, the violation of second rights amendments, like you saw with the Mir Lock situation where mm-hmm. the Minnesota Gun Caucus in, in what I would say rare rare fashion came right. out in support of Amir Locke and, and him being a, a licensed legal gun owner and getting um, very confusing and distorting uh, commands from a SWAT team that already had their guns drawn and, and they it, it ended up killing him, right? And I think that that was un, uh, unjust. Um, so I, I think that the problem with this, though, is that it's being uh, the conversation being facilitated around a, a sphere of race. When if you go back and you look at the young man who was the, the young white man uh, who was killed at the La Quinta Inn there in Arizona some years back, and, and he was, uh, you know, what would appear to be either uh, under serious mental health crisis or, or actually disabled. Um, you know, both can be the same in some re- regards, but um, he might have had a, 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 a more severe disability. But the cops gave him multiple, uh, you know, confusing commands, and then they end up shooting and killing him while he was laying flat on the ground, basically in the hallway at the La Quinta. Right. I mean, and so these are the anomalies, but we have right. to understand that the anomalies do huge, irreparable damage in the trust. Um, If we don't take accountability for that as lawmakers and as government, then we'll be in a situation where the the relationship and trust between government and and people will continue to deteriorate over time. Well, uh, this is a I'm a circle back to something you said earlier to uh, talk about the point you just made. You mentioned Jordan Peterson and we'll talk some more about you were in Toronto uh, when I guess, for lack of a better word, he, he blew up. And uh, part of it was the government mandating people to be polit- politically correct. But where I'm getting to is that, and, 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 and I admire what he says, too. He's a very knowledgeable uh, person to me. And in fact, one of the most knowledgeable people I've ever listened to and logical. And he got data. But uh, one of the points that he makes uh, is that the reason we don't solve a lot of these issues is because we look at a single factor. And a lot of times there's 18, 19, 20 factors. And if we're going to solve them, we need to take that into consideration. So I'm very upfront with anybody who's going to analyze the situation and say it's all because of race or mainly because of race when there's so many other uh, other things involved in that. And even if that, you take that's it. That's silly. Yeah, that's it is, silly. It, it is. It is. But it's a narrative that people buy into and that we buy into. And It sells. It sells. Yeah, it sells. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so it, it's kind of like, uh, and I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a scientific methodology type person. I got a technical background, and like, wait, wait, I like, wait, wait. Remember uh, when I said sellouts? Okay. <laughs> that narrative sells, and the people who promote it are sellouts. So now yeah. you see where the yeah. okay. Uh, and, go ahead. Go and, ahead. And let's <laughs> let's face it. Uh, that's a race industry. You could do very well. I could fame have. And fo- fame and fortune wise, just being part of uh, yeah. uh, 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 the racist, and people do. Uh, but one of the, the uh, data that I was surprised to see is that when I looked at it in any given year, twice as many unarmed white people get killed by police as black people. And, and white I, people should be very outraged by that. Right. And they should be outraged about it. But my point there is that. Don't you think we need to understand why they're getting killed too? Are we going to solve this problem? And uh, most uh, well, no, well, no, because white people are um, are the product of of white supremacy and an inherent evil uh, in America and America's 
you know, America's evolution. Right, and right. Uh, that, that's the new liberal left movement. So, you know, the the attack is really on the white Christian heterosexual man. Uh, but they'll settle for any white man if they if they don't have the rest of the factors. Uh, and, and actually, you know, uh, the only way to protect yourself in our modern society as a white person is if you subscribe to Democrat, liberal, far left uh, politics. Uh, and, and that in and of itself is one of the most dishonest things I've, I've ever even uh, uh, come across culturally in all my study through history and nations from here and, uh, and, and you know, all the way back 5,000 years. It's just it's just as dishonest as you possibly can be. And and Jordan Peterson was a victim of that. Yes, yes. And he lays it out, I think, and makes some very good logical arguments that uh, even though we've seen where he's been in dialogue with the far left and the woke people and uh, it's hard for data and logic to uh, have an effect there. So let's talk about one of the things I talked about at Pep Peeves as uh, education and, and if, uh, given the influence of the federal government in education, uh, what uh, would be some of the top issues that you see in education and how would you as a member of Congress uh, tackle those issues? Well, I think as far as the Minneapolis school system goes or, or in, in my district in CD5, mm -hmm. um, I would I would make a very concerted effort to address the problem with the curriculum. Um, I think the curriculum has become a product of, you know, far left, woke, um, intersectional Marxist, you know, uh, ideologies. Um, and, and there's a soft bigotry to low expectations that's wrapped in it. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and me as a black man, you know, it, it's insulting to say if all things are equal, uh, the history of you black people is such that you won't have a chance to compete against whites uh, or anybody else in this country. Uh, as an athlete, I, I, I can't accept those those premises. Right. Don't spot me 20 points in a basketball game if it, either I'm going to be able to win and compete or I'm going to find the, the the love of the process of getting better until I can win. Um, and I'm going to, and, and I'm going to have my, uh, and I'm going to have patience and I'm going to have fortitude and I'm going to have uh, faith in God that those things are possible. And, and, but if I'm wrapped in a radical materialism, then I can't have those, those anchored beliefs about the process of success. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think that's been shoved down our throats in the curriculum. I mean, it's baked into the curriculum. Uh, that America's this white patriarchy and and it's you know it's it's what predicated on white supremacy and and it's white men uh, trying to take advantage of of minorities and so you know you only address that through the ability to critically think we got to put philosophy back in the schools we have to put philosophy back in the schools and and we have to also create after school programs that support real well-funded after-school program. If we're going to have households and families where single mothers need to work two jobs or mothers and fathers both have to work jobs in order to, to maintain a standard of living, we need real well-funded after-school programs to support uh, uh, the reforms that we make in the education curriculum. So you mentioned uh, one of my pet peeves, and I can't just skip over that, uh, professional uh, athletics, and I'll just tell you, one of my pet peeves 
with professional athletes, especially as they're communicating with our children, yeah. is that they've achieved a certain amount of success yeah. worth a billion, two billion dollars or whatever. Uh, they're being rewarded for their sacrifice and their discipline in those fields. And where I'm going is that we seem to think and come across sometimes that we can't do the same thing in physics yeah. or chemistry uh, or, or business. Of why, just like we've, uh, well, let me put it this way. As far as I know, and Royce, you you might you probably know the answer. I don't think they ever had an affirmative action for basketball or singing uh, for us to excel and achieve to the point where we're not owners of the team. And so how it is that we let these people convince us that yeah. we can't do the same in every other field. To, 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 I, I agree with you. Two things going on there, though. There was an early predatory uh, middleman rent-seeking rent brokership of black talent by... Right. Mm -hmm by white men let's just be honest mm -hmm. but 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 that's not a reflection of white men as a monolith that's ridiculous right, right. that's silly right. it's the same thing as saying Derek Chauvin is a representation of all police officers it's just it's just bad it's just a bad uh way to think um right. and, and so uh am I frozen here no you're good okay good uh, I'm frozen on my screen I apologize about that um but yeah so yeah, there there was an early predatory broker, you know, brokerage on on black talent, um, but but ultimately, you know, I, I see it as very very intentional, intentional. When I say when again when I say black sellouts, the black bourgeoisie, let's say, I see it as very intentional that there is a strong message that has gone out to our young people that says. Hey, if it's sports or entertainment or, or something of that nature, um, mm -hmm. you know, you can be anything you want to be. Uh, but if it's if it's physics, if it's engineering, if it's philosophy, if it's writing, if it's if it's any of these type of technical uh, knowledge um, fields, um, then 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 you're suppressed and oppressed and, right, and given right, a false right, start right, right, by the right, white right. supremacy system. Um, it's like you can't have it both ways. Right, right, exactly. You can't have it both ways. Exactly. And, and, and uh, even on a more, uh, even more detailed level, and we'll move on. Uh, by the way, Russ, how old were you when you st started playing basketball? Uh, I was about five years old, actually, six years old. Okay. And you started at five or six. When did you decide that you may want to be do it for a living? I mean, I grew up in the Chicago Bulls era, man, you know. Right, right, right. Okay. <laughs> right, right. I was born in 91, right? And uh, and uh, the Chicago Bulls, right, we, you know, it used to be you had cable, you know, local cable here, WGN, uh, had all the Bulls games, all their home games. So us right. here in Minnesota, we got to see Chicago Bulls games that, that many people didn't get to see. Um, mm -hmm. So, I mean, if you grew up in the Bulls era, you wanted to be a professional basketball player, uh, as soon as you saw Michael Jordan uh, play the game, because uh, he he was he was incredible and and uh, and, and very graceful and talented at doing it, and and he was a showman as well. So there there was there was a a deep desire I would say for me to pursue professional basketball at the earliest of ages. However, right. mm -hmm. I wasn't uh I wasn't believing that I had a chance to actually be a professional 
until I was around, you know, uh, 15 years old, I'd say 14. Yeah. What I want to focus on is your pursuit of basketball and the type of sacrifice and yeah. discipline and goal setting that you made in your pursuit of basketball. And and I'm assuming somewhere down the line, you were spending four or five hours a day or whatever. Uh, that was the time. More. In it. more. more. All right. That's my point. And this is where I'm getting at it to make it even a more detailed level. I don't understand why more of our athletes don't say to our young kids, look, when I set a goal for myself, I had to discipline myself. I had to sacrifice. I had to put in hard work. And just like I did that in basketball, you can do that in any uh, life pursuit that you have. That is I can my tell biggest. You, I can tell you why. Why? I can tell you why. It just, it, it, it just came to me just now as we're sitting here talking. Mm -hmm. I, I knew where you were going, and I was just thinking about why that is. Because the nature of being a professional athlete and a high-level celebrity is such that um, the dynamic between fanaticism and fandom and their success is directly correlated. Okay? So mm -hmm. without, without an over-the-top fanaticism around professional sports. That's a good uh, point. They, then you don't make the same money. You don't get the same endorsements. The market of professional sports changes from an economic standpoint, from a value standpoint. And so I, I see it at that deep level. That's right. why. Right. It's because they're, they're, they're going, if you don't have the, if you, if you found another field to be, to inundate yourself in, then that takes away from your adulation of me. Right. And what the black community has created is a generation or generations of peacocks. Look at mm -hmm. me, look at me. That's right. that's what our professional sports and, and professional athletes have really become. Even the best of them, even the best of them who have high character, right. who are good people, who we are right to idolize and, and revere uh, for their work ethic and things, they still are living a look in me sort of of. of yeah. I just wish once LeBron James or Steph Curry, and I like all these brothers, would say you can be anything like you want to be if you put into sacrifice and you discipline like I did in basketball, you can do it there. And then the other thing, and this is a transition into a discussion on families, it seemed like to me when I was growing up, if you were a mechanic and you provide for your family and taking care of your children, and with your mother to raise those children, and you had a home. You didn't. Have, what I'm getting to. You didn't have to be a multimillionaire. Yeah. You didn't have to be famous. Yep. And I'm concerned, Royce, that we've developed a, such a wild and crazy standard of success in life that we have implanted in our children's head that there will be. And then you compare that with all the stuff out on social media where everybody looked like they lived a great life and they're flashing money and fancy cars that somehow we're going to have to get back to our roots as far as what a man is, what a successful life is. And it's not all about celebrityhood and, and bling and things like that. How do we get there if it's desirable, and if it's not desirable, we can say it's not desirable, but somehow we got to get out of this fame and fortune type of mentality that we're all in. And I see it in our young men, too. Yeah. And, the, and a lot of the things, dysfunctional behavior, 
it's related to that frustration where we see everybody else with all this good stuff and why not me and things like that. Why don't you spend a minute maybe just dealing with that whole uh, uh, idea? Yep. Yeah, yeah, Faith in God. Yeah, yeah, that's probably the best starting point. Seek first yeah. the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Um, that, that was, that would probably be my first prescription. Um, but, but, but I think, yeah, you, you lay out the radical materialism, right. And and yeah, social media is, I mean, we have to get off, we have to put the drug down. And when I say the drug, I don't mean drugs, actual drugs that that's a part of it, but actually the, the, the actual drugs is the downstream consequence of not being satisfied with self and having meaning and value and needing something to cope with your own despair and anxiety. Um, So, so I would say we got to put the drug down. We got to, we get, we have to re we have to reimagine what it means to be a healthy, successful individual. Um, But, but, you know, part of it is this too. We're we're making you know the 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 elder men that helped raise me, they used to thump you over the head when you when 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 you were making something harder than it was, they give you that flick over the head and go, you're making things harder than they need to be, right? You, you're your biggest enemy, mm-hmm. and the black community, we are our biggest enemy. We don't invest in ourselves. We don't invest in each other. And if we invested in each other, we invested in ourselves, then our talent, our talent may translate. Um, to a to a socioeconomic circumstance that would be closer, not 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 rich and not fame and fortune, but mm-hmm. it would be closer to a livable standard uh, at a mass level. And and so you know there are always going to be people who are poor. There's mm-hmm. always going to be people who are mentally ill, and there are always going to be people who commit crime. Uh, I I don't have any uh, naive concepts about some utopian fantasy world. But I think by and large, many more black people could be doing much better if we invested in ourselves individually and in our community um, mm-hmm. and understand the economic process of keeping dollars in our community. Um, so, you know, until we do those things, we're just we're, we, we've become prostitutes of a, of a consumer culture. And so there's not when and Kanye West, I think, was brilliant when he said, um, you know, black people, you know, the problem is when you don't own land, you settle for brands. I, th- I thought that was such a profound statement. Um, mm-hmm. And we mm-hmm. have we have become very, very committed to the idea that our self-worth uh, can can only be validated by what it is we have to show off and flaunt. Yeah. It's not all black people, but it's Man. also not just black people. There's a there's a consumer consumer culture. I agree. For, for Americans. But the problem is that black people have a unique history that changes how the consumer culture affects our community versus other communities, which is why we shoot each other over sneakers and, and silly stuff like that. Uh, you mentioned something there, and we're going to get ready to wrap it up here. Of course, your elders and what they taught you. And I tell everybody, and I, I, I was blessed, uh, the elders that raised me, including my mom and dad, if I had to say one thing, that common thread, a theme in the way they raised me is we want you to be the best you can be. We're going to focus on being the best you can be. And I tell everyone, it's kind of st- interesting what happens when you're focusing on being the best you can be. 
the world kind of recedes and what happened in the past and history kind of recedes and you are really spending a lot of time looking in the mirror and, and, and trying to be the best you can be. So here, here's the thing. Uh, so Royce White gets elected to Congress uh, and then two years down the road, re-election comes up. What would Royce White uh, hope to have accomplished during his first term uh, as a U.S. House of Representative from from a congressional Minnesota Congressional District Five? I I, I would hope to help spark um, or or you know encourage a cultural renaissance that starts right here in CD5, that starts right here in, in the heart of Minneapolis, um, which, is the heart of, which is the heart of our great state of Minnesota uh, and has huge implications culturally on the entire nation. It has over the last two years. Um, and I think it will continue to be a, 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 an epicenter of, of cultural change as we go forward. And so we have a, a huge opportunity to not only heal and, and, and transform our community for a more prosperous community, but we have a chance to, to be a beacon for this entire nation. Um, and I hope that I can, can uh, you know, spark that, that, that renaissance. Um, I think we do it through education. I think we do it through the economy. But first and foremost, we have to safeguard and protect our citizens um, from the encroachment of, of globalism. And, and the grandiosity of this, 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 this federal government and this global corporate community. And, and first and foremost, we have to protect freedom. Freedom is the cornerstone of American citizenship. And then it's the pursuit of happiness, uh, you know, life, liberty, and the, and the pursuit of happiness. So um, we, we, we have some work to do around safeguarding freedoms. And, and then we'll get to work on education and building better citizens, uh, building healthier human beings. Okay, good. And you mentioned uh, earlier the devil is in the details, and right. and this is where I'm going. Might not be a good analogy here, but mm -hmm. at the end of the day, we have people in this community. Like I say, gas is four dollars a gallon, fifty cent a gallon. Uh, they go in the grocery stores. The prices are high. Yeah. Uh, there are crime in the streets, uh, and everything around them and there, there's a lot of stress and strain what exactly will you, how would you make that life easier given those type of things taking those type of everyday type of things my you know my kid is not educated uh, i'm worried about my son out here how would a royce white uh member of congress help improve people's lives well, along first those thing lines? The first thing I'm going to help them uh, by doing is telling them the truth. <laughs> the truth will set you free uh, from from the burdens of your everyday life. Uh, when you're in bondage and chains and you know, Malcolm X's famous quote was the, the price of freedom is death. But that's the same thing as saying the truth will set you free in many ways. And and they've been lied to. And, and the reason why their lives are under such uh, dire condition is because they we have they have by and large part, squandered their vote and their dollar to a party and to an establishment that seeks to enslave them economically. And there's no, there's no ifs, ands, and buts about it. They have been lied to. Their gas prices are the way they are because Joe Biden 
uh, succumb to a, a global energy lobby that says that uh, that America is not an energy rich nation and, and we're concerned about pollution and, and fossil fuels and greenhouse gas. So we'll just export all of our oil interests and in purchasing to Russia, who's doing the same greenhouse gas fossil fuel drilling that that yeah. that we could have been doing here and, right, and gas right. wouldn't be so high. So yeah. they've been lied to. And all I can do is offer to tell them the truth. And then we can make a decision through democratic process with the right information that could actually improve their lives. But I'm not going to lie to people and tell them I'm going to wave a magic wand and, and the P it's we, the people. So the referendum over the next two years is on we, the people, what kind of America do we want to live in and what kind of American dream do we want to, um, do, do we want to have the potential to, to achieve? Um, and that, that comes by way of knowledge and truth. So the gas, yeah, it needs to come down. The crime is bad. Uh, th th this all stems from a huge lie. And, and the, the, real an the real antidote, the short answer is we have to go to American first policy where their citizenship and the value of their citizenship is the first priority for their lawmakers and representatives. The citizenship of American people is not the first priority of Ilhan Omar, the squad, the Democratic Party, or the Uniparty. And I could show people, and I will show people, why that is true and why it is the case. Well, a good thing to pause it on, because we're not going to end it. We're going to have some further dialogue, because there's a lot of uh, uh, details to flush out. So I look forward to uh, circling back with you and having you on again. Uh, during the campaign to follow up some other issues. In the meantime, once again, other candidates out there, regardless of party, regardless of ideas, bring them on and let's talk about them and share them with the, with the world because I think that's what a democracy is for, uh, to air all type of opinion. I'm not in favor. Now. I've been up front of, of the cancel culture and big tech censoring people. Uh, yeah, should never trust a censor, especially if, it, yeah, and that's basically what I'm going to say. So thank you again, uh, Royce. I hope to see you soon. Uh, best of luck on your campaign and keep up the good work. And the only thing I can leave with my audience is that uh, everything I've seen of you is a person of knowledge and honesty and truth. And let's go out here and uh, try to change people's lives for the better. So thank you, sir, for taking time out for Bright Lights. Uh, thanks to everybody out in our audience for listening in. If you got any comments, questions, concerns, and especially criticism. I love taking on criticism. Send them this way, or if they for Royce, <laughs> address them to Royce and not our show. Uh, uh, so thank you very much, Mr. White. I uh, thank our audience. Uh, tune in again next week for another uh, provocative guest and a provocative discussion. Uh, another uh, person who brings a positive message. Uh, uh, as you know, I'm not into uh, talking about obstacles and, and what happened 100 years ago and why we can't succeed and uh, all the uh, messages that we're getting from the mainstream media nowadays. So thank you, everyone. Tune in again next week for Bright Lights, where we bring you achievers, uh, and uh, we'll go from there. Thanks, everyone.